today, as we look at the rest of this, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 and following, there's a great word of testimony here. Great word of testimony. And, and really, there's three different aspects of testimony given within this last particular passage. And I would, I would suggest and say it this way, the Lord invites all to heed or obey his word. Why? Because his word is true. And I would suggest to do it with joy. It's not just drudgery. It's not just, well, yes, I've got to obey. The Eeyore moments, you know. There's a lot of Eeyore Christians. <laughs> How are we walking with joy in the midst of what God has done and the promises that he's given and the truth that we have? The certainty of knowing where we're headed and what God has done and what God is doing and what God has promised to accomplish. How are we walking in that? The Lord invites all to heed, to obey his word. Why? Because his testimony is true. So three things, a testimony of invitation. I love this. Even at the, at the very end of Revelation, I believe there is a testimony of invitation to people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive from him freely what it is that he offers. Secondly, there's a testimony of warning. If you don't heed, if you don't obey the words of this prophecy, watch out. Watch out. And lastly, and I think this is absolutely remarkable, there's a testimony of grace. I love that the, the Bible, in a sense, the, the closed canon ends with the idea and the picture of God's grace. Isn't that amazing? I love that. So first of all, a testimony of invitation. Revelation 22, verses 16 and following, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Lord makes this statement and he testifies of the things that have been revealed to John, the apostle, for the churches, for believers. And he says of himself that he's the root and the descendant of David. The root meaning that he created David. He's the one that brought him into existence. God is the all-sufficient one. The Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal logos. He's always existed. He became a man at a particular point in time. And as a result, he's also the descendant of David. He is from David with regard to his humanity. Perfect, sinless humanity, but he's still from the line of David. He's also the morning star, and I, I love how this concludes, in effect, what the Lord is saying about himself at the very end of Revelation, after all the judgments, after all the things that this earth has gone through, and we see how God's hand is sovereign over the affairs of men, and how God is bringing to completion that which he began at the very beginning, how he is taking from the garden the tree of life, and he's, he's bringing all things into a regenerated state, and we go through the millennium, and then we go into the the new heaven and the new earth, and all things are made new. The Lord says of himself that he is the morning star. In other words, he's the hope for mankind for salvation from sin and death. What an incredible statement about himself. He's the morning star. He is hope. We, we can read through Revelation and we look at all the destruction and we look at the hardness of heart and the rebellion of so many. 
And even though they know that it's the lamb that is doing these things, they still, in effect, shake their fist at God and refuse to repent, to change their minds about their need of salvation in Christ and Christ alone. At the very end, he says, I'm the morning star. I'm the hope for mankind. I'm the hope for eternity. I'm the hope for salvation. I'm the hope for forgiveness of sin. Started uh, in a very similar way at the beginning of Revelation, where in Revelation 1.8, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, meaning I am the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. And I love this word, the Almighty, the Almighty. That word literally has the idea of I hold all things in my hand. Folks, when we talk about the Lord God Almighty, understand that everything is in his hand. <laughs> I love that phrase, anything above my head is still under his feet. Don't you love that? How many of you this week faced something that was above your head? Yeah, I did. And you have to immediately run to the Lord and say, the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> Everything over my head is still under his feet. Praise God for that. We have the opportunity to walk with him in that and experience him in that and live that in freedom with joy. In other words, we don't just walk through it and just say it as if somehow it's by rote memory and we're just in drudgery going to walk in it. But rather we walk with it in joy, recognizing that God is sovereign, that everything is filtered through his hands. He's the Lord God Almighty. Well, in verse 17, he goes on. And he says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. What an incredible message this truly is. The word come is, and forgive me if I get wonky here for a minute, but it's present, active, imperative. Present means there is an invitation taking place. Imperative meaning that it is a command. There is a command and an invitation in the same moment. Come! There's a beckoning. There's a command to do so. But it's an invitation. Let the one who wishes come. He says that the, the bride, the spirit and the bride say come. He's, he's obviously talking about the Holy Spirit. He's obviously talking about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say something. This is what... We are to be saying, folks, this is our message. Come, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and receive forgiveness. Come and be blessed. Come and experience newness of life. Have hope, because that's what this is all about. This is the message from us to the world. He says, let the one who hears say, come. In other words, those who have understanding and recognize the truth of what God has said and declared within this particular book of prophecy, say, come, come, come to the fount, come to the water, come to eternal life, come and drink and be refreshed and be purified and satisfied forever. That's our message, folks. Come. I love this because this is so important. Let the one who wishes, the one who wishes, that word wish means to will, to will. 
Folks, I want to just encourage you. I know the doctrine of election. Many of you have looked into this, and for decades and decades and centuries, the church has been divided over the doctrine of election. If you don't know that, God bless. It's all good. God's sovereign. (laughs) We don't fully understand the doctrine of election. We absolutely believe that the believers are the elect. No question. But there is no question in this verse That the picture given is that anybody has the opportunity to make a decision about coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we believe the offer is to all. Come. Let the one who wishes or wills come. Let them take the water of life without cost. See, we hear in this some of the passages out of John. John chapter 4, verses 13 And 14, where the Lord is speaking to the woman at the well, and he says, he answers and says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Or I love this verse in John 7, verse 37. He says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. (laughs) Folks, you know how many people are thirsty? How many people are desirous? We have the message, and our message is come. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and receive forgiveness. Come and receive eternal life. Come and enter into a relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who's able to come into your life and change your life and transform your life and give you hope. What a beautiful truth this is. Let them take the water of life without cost. Anybody who wills this, anybody who makes this decision, anybody who hears this and recognizes the truth of the reality of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is eternal life, that he is the water that satisfies, that quenches. Let them take the water of life without cost. Meaning it's free. It's a gift that the Lord paid for on our behalf. That word take, I don't know, it's kind of an impersonal word to me. Let him take it. It almost sounds like a little kid grabbing some chocolate. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, what? That word take actually is the idea of receive to yourself. Receive to yourself. It's very personal. Let him receive to himself the water of life that is offered freely without cost to the individual receiving it. Anybody that wishes, anybody that wills, let them take the water of life. Let them receive it to themselves. I like what the New American Commentary says on this. If anyone has the will and wishes to slake his thirst in the water of life, he is invited to come. The extensive warnings of the wrath to come that grace the book of Revelation on every page as well as the gracious provisions of God for forgiveness and salvation occurring with almost equal frequency are the grounds for extending this sincere invitation to all. The plain of peel of the Spirit and the bride concluding the apocalypse should be the appropriate consummation of the message of the church in every age. Is that our message? Is that our testimony? Is the message of this body of believers, you, me, come, 
receive the water that is able to refresh, that is able to save. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ himself and be forgiven, be made whole, have hope. Look forward to eternity that is blessed forever and ever and ever. Amen. Folks, that ought to be our message with every fiber of our being, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, that ought to be the cry of our heart to the people all around us. The question is, are we walking with the Lord in such a way that his grace is being seen through us? And that that message of God's grace, this invitation, this testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit and the church is being revealed in and through our lives. Well, there's also a testimony of warning. In verses 18 and 19 of Revelation 22, he says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. There's many different ways that people have viewed these particular verses. Some people want to look at this as if uh, the, the message is concerning the entire canon, the entire scripture. And while I agree that scripture needs to be handled accurately, we know uh, the 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us that we are to be workmen that are not ashamed, that we are handling accurately the word of truth. No question about that. The word of God is God's word. Every jot and every tittle will remain. It's God's word. It's not our word. It's his word to us that we have the opportunity of spreading to everybody. And there's no question that that's true. Some believe that this is an idea of the loss of salvation. There's all kinds of different views on this. But I believe that the true idea here is a warning for all who do not heed, who do not listen and take to heart this particular letter or this book of Revelation, this prophecy that is given, I believe that what he's saying is specific to Revelation. Though it may be true of the entire canon, this particular statement is referring to the prophecy of Revelation. There is clearly a warning not to add nor to detract from the words of this prophecy. It's God's word, and it shouldn't be tampered with but rather received as true as he who has given it as true and faithful. It's about revelation. And simply put, the issue here is a warning that if someone hears the words of revelation and the warnings of judgment, as well as the opportunities of grace, and does not heed, obey, or yield, or believe, however you want to put it, they will not participate in eternal life. Hear the words, the warnings, the gracious invitations to be forgiven, to be saved, to be rescued, and do not heed that. They will not have a part in heaven because they are not saved. Maybe this passage is best contrasted with a verse earlier on in Revelation 22 where he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. In verse 7, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. In other words, blessed are those who do obey and recognize the truth of what God is revealing here. If you don't believe the words of this prophecy, 
You will have no part with the tree of life with regard to heaven and in eternity with Christ. It's interesting because this is what was similar regarding the start of Revelation. In Revelation 1.3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. There's a blessing to those who walk through this and not just hear, not just listen, but heed. We recognize the time of the Lord is near. He's coming quickly. That's a theme throughout the entire prophecy. Do we really believe that? What is it that upsets us? What is it that gets us all stirred up? <laughs> is it kingdom issues or is it just earthly issues? Is it kingdom issues or is it earthly issues? And the question is, how are we walking with the Lord in such a way that God through us is being revealed? How are we listening and obeying, walking in God's grace and strength? as the Lord begins to transform us internally and it begins to be revealed externally to those around us. How are we walking where we recognize that the time of the Lord is near? Again, quoting from the New American Commentary, however, the more likely cause for this expression, these verses can be seen in the Beatitude when those who are promised blessedness if they keep the words of the prophecy of this book to attempt to do something other than abide by its message, the message of Revelation, either explaining it away or adding to its message, only results in a deception that makes one the recipient of the plagues who has lost any opportunity for access to the tree of life and the holy city. This seems to be the best understanding of this final warning, and I fully agree with that. Walverd says it perhaps even more strongly. A dual warning is given against adding to it or subtracting from the book of Revelation. How great will be the judgment of those who despise this book and relegate it to the mystical experiences of an old man, thereby denying that it is the inspired word of God. Rejecting the word of God is rejecting God himself. And those who deny his promises of blessing and subtract from his truths will receive his judgment and will have no part in the tree of life or access to the holy city. Wow. Folks, how are we walking in such a way that God is being revealed? How are we heeding the truth of the reality of Christ? How is God transforming us internally and then making himself known through us? in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our attitudes, in our activities, our decisions. Well, there's not only a testimony of invitation and one of warning, but he concludes in verses 20 and 21 with a testimony of grace. What a great way to conclude. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus the Lord's testimony throughout the entire prophecy is that he's coming quickly over and over and over again. The message of the soon returning king is brought forth. His assurance to this is emphatic, it's repeated, and clearly it is a theme throughout the book of Revelation. I would suggest that John's response ought to be what all of us do as well. Amen, meaning let it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do, do you wake up each day saying, Lord, maybe today's the day? What's our perspective in life? 
Again, are we kingdom-minded or are we earthly-minded? Are we walking and we're so worried and so distraught about the things of this earth that we have completely lost perspective? Or are we waking up every morning saying, Lord, this is your day. I don't know what's going to transpire in the midst of it. It's yours. And whatever you choose to do is good. I know it's been filtered through your hands. Lord, be in me what I'm not. Would you give me the power and strength to walk with you, to follow you, to experience you in the midst of life? And Lord, through me, may the testimony of grace be revealed. Verse 21, we have the last statement of the canon of Scripture. This is amazing to me. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Folks, when we talk about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think one thing that I've heard and and just wrestled with over the years being in ministry is people are always trying to separate the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I mean by that is simply this. I hear a lot of people, and I'm one of them, saying, Lord, I need more patience. Uh, Lord, give me joy. Lord, uh, give me peace. Lord, and you can fill in the blank for whatever it is. Folks, do we understand that Jesus Christ is our peace? That Jesus Christ is all of those things? That when we have a lack, he is the fulfillment of our need. That whatever it is that we don't have in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. We have it all because we have Christ living within us. He says, the grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. I believe in so many ways we're not just talking about something separate from the Lord or something that he has to hand out, but rather himself being given in the midst of what it is that we need. The grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself being experienced in us and then his power being witnessed and testified to through us. How are we walking with the Lord and experiencing his grace, experiencing his life, experiencing him? Grace, I believe, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, John refers to that in John chapter 1. Grace and truth are realized in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, have come to be in a way that's never been seen before. It's not that in the Old Testament there wasn't grace and truth, but when the person of the Lord Jesus Christ entered into humanity, into time itself, that he had created, we got to experience and recognize and see grace in a way that has never been seen before. Do you realize that every day we have the opportunity of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace, moment by moment. Grace toward his church, towards believers, is our privilege, our strength, our hope, our assurance. It's what we look forward to with certainty and why we look forward to it with certainty in terms of heaven. And it is transformative. God's grace is able to change us in a way that we could work hard at, we could be sincere in the midst of, but we could never change ourselves. God's grace. Are we guarding the words of this prophecy? Are we watching over it? Are we impacted by it, stirred a little bit? Or are our lives just keeping right on the same course? We're letting the things of this world 
dominate our minds. We're letting the things of this world be what totally uh, becomes our focus rather than just walking with the Lord, saying yes to him and experiencing God's transformative grace, his power in our lives, and then watching what God can do in and through us. How are we walking with the Lord, being used of him in the midst of our world today? Where the gospel of God's grace, his hope and his truth, the opportunity to come and experience the forgiveness of God takes place. How are we living in light of eternity? How are we willing to share with others what it is that we ourselves have experienced?